Hey guys, it's Kurt. As you heard in our first episode of the year, back, 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 back again, uh, Melissa and I actually tried to record an episode in December and release it to you on Christmas Eve, but for some reason it didn't go through. So we are going to share with you a big chunk of what happened during that conversation, which was her and I recapping our amazing trip to New York City. And, um, there's really nothing forensics related necessarily uh, in what we talk about other than just two people who love performance and theatrical arts nerding out about the amazing stuff that we got to see. And uh, we wanted to share that with you. So I hope you enjoy this unintentional, but hopefully still welcome bonus episode all about our trip to New York City. So let's let's fast forward a bit to talk about like really the reason why we're having an episode at this point. Um, you and I and several of our closest companions took a trip to New York City <gasps> to yes, see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Parts Part one, one two. and two. And so so let's let's talk a little bit about we we've mentioned on the podcast that this trip was planned, but. Let's talk about the the group that we went with. Uh, my husband uh, was there and really made it possible for all of us to be able to even go in the first place. Yay, John! Um, yay, John! And you're a better half. Yes, my non romantic better half. Yeah, my my hetero life partner Katie uh, came along with us as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then who to me is part of our drag race watching family, but your friend from for many, many years now, Christy, and then your mm-hmm. uh, lifelong co-captain, Steph Yachman. Yes. L- devoted listeners to the podcast may remember that Stephanie was from episode two. Uh, she was she was my my co-captain in high school and we did forensics together. And she is the person who introduced me to Harry Potter in the first place. And so I was super thrilled that it worked out for her to be able to meet us in New York City uh, to be able to go see this show. Now, Melissa, let's get into it. <laughs> my my notes say here. New York City trip, line one, Melissa Sobs at Lyric Theater. <laughs> yes. So first of all, for those who are not aware, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is a new original story. It's considered like the eighth book in the series. And they make a big deal out of having you hashtag keep the secrets because they don't want to spoil the theatrical experience for anybody who might still be going. And there are a lot of them because it is sold out through like 2024 yeah, or something crazy like that. Like. <laughs> This play will run for a long, long time. Um, it is also a play in two parts. So you see, you when you buy tickets, you buy them to both parts. You have to see both. Um, either two in the same day or what we did, which was we saw one on Thursday night and the second one on Friday night. And um, so we're not going to give away any of the secrets. Hashtag keep the secrets. Hashtag keep the secrets. But Melissa, would it be overstating the fact to say that it was a theatrical experience that changed your life and maybe ruined all other theater for you? There is no hyperbole in me agreeing with that statement. I have never so viscerally reacted to a piece of media, theater or otherwise, as I did 
multiple occasions during Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, specifically at the break during one part into intermission, where in which I could not get myself back together for the entirety of intermission and just cried for 20 minutes straight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can attest to that. I was, I was present. Um, her cheeks, her cheeks were wet <laughs> for a long time. I, that's an understatement. I look like I had just dipped. I look like one of those girls in the face cleaning commercials who scoops up the water and splashes at herself. But I just did that continuously with my own tears. Yeah. It it was a very special experience. Um, and part of the reason it was special is that like we're both Harry Potter fans. But I do know people who aren't who have seen that production and who say the same thing. Yeah. That it is just such a stunning piece of theater that it's oh, it's so hard to explain things without giving things away. Um, but it is the stagecraft of that show in a world where, you know, the Harry Potter world where magic exists to be able to see in person on stage, some of the things that happen in the movie that's bonkers. And, and I've, we've both been involved in theater for a long time. And so we've both seen a lot of stagecraft and there were many, many things in the show that I was watching and being amazed by but like my rational brain could figure out how it worked, like where a, where a stage door was used, where a trap door was used, where, you know, costuming and lights kind of did the work for them. And then there were other things that I'm still sitting here weeks later going, how on earth did they accomplish that other than real magic? Yep. Like there's like, how, how, how did they make that happen? Um, life, life changing and a beautiful, beautiful story. People who have read, um, the script who may feel the way I did after reading the script, which was kind of like, meh, um, brought to life on stage. It, it makes so much more sense. Um, and it's just to me such a great example of why the theater is still vital and important because this is not an experience you could have anywhere else. Nope. Um, they, they, I mean, they should not make this into a movie because everyone should see this live and be amazed by it as we were. And, and they, I've already talked to people into going and buying tickets. I I don't even it's one of those things where like a part of me doesn't even know how to necessarily put into words the whole experience like even when we were sort of like digesting and like like decompressing together after both of the performances like there were moments where I would just I didn't even know how to properly convey like how some of those things felt because I I my love of Harry Potter is hopefully well known to everyone around me. I have Harry Potter tattoos on my body and Cursed Child was the first thing I've ever gone to that was Harry Potter related. I've never been to Wizarding World. I've never gone to any like museum exhibits. None of it. It was the first thing that I'd ever done that was Harry Potter related. And I'm now spoiled out of my mind getting to see it. But it was so... It is so deeply ingrained who I am, those stories and those characters and getting to see them on stage and to see that world so deeply revered 
by people outside of J.K. Rowling. Like, yes, she's part of the script writing, but by the actors on stage, by the people who are like behind the scenes, by the costuming, all of that, getting to see other people who respected it and revered it so much, like just made my heart six times bigger than I knew it could possibly be. And I'm not going to cry talking about it right now. I'm going to pull myself together because I will cry about it again. Okay. <laughs> Deep breaths. It was, it was just so special and getting to, to see it with, with you and with Katie and with people like Steph and John and Christy who also are so in love with the series and who it meant something so intensely to as well. It just, it felt good. And it wasn't one of those shows where people were like, Walking out of it, like, there's just, like, a hush over everyone about, like, what we all got to experience together. And one of the reasons why that whole, like, hashtag keep the secrets is so important because there are things on there that, like, I don't want to tell people about because I want them to get to experience them as well for the first time. Yeah. I'm now jealous of anyone who ever gets to go see that for the first time. Because it is agreed. I told my friend Emily that who's going to get tickets because I told her she had to. I was like, now I'm so jealous <laughs> that you get to go see it for the first time. It's incredible. And it, it, I would have paid three times the amount that we did for how much it now means to me. Like mm-hmm. it was amazing. And then it was, and that it wasn't even like necessarily the highlight of our whole trip either. Because then the next day you and I got to go on a beautiful friendship date to Lincoln Center to go see My Fair yeah. Lady. And get- well, first we stood in line for two hours. Well, so I'm, I'm a real good date, ladies and gentlemen. I really know how to show a girl a good time. Yeah, you do. Uh, but we went and saw My Fair Lady at Lincoln Center with who is one of our like deep heroes and frankly crush of mine, Laura Benanti. And it was one of, like, to have gone from Cursed Child thinking, like, this is one of the greatest Broadway performances I've ever seen, to then go see My Fair Lady and being like, oh, dang, so is this. Right. It was unreal. (laughs) And it's one of the things I love about Broadway, though. It's like, it's hard to see something. It's hard to see something bad. Like, it's almost impossible to see something bad. But it's, it's hard to see something that isn't stunning. Yeah. You know, so that, uh, but yeah, that space, which I had never been to the Vivian Beaumont theater is just gorgeous. And it's like half in the round. And again, the stagecraft of that musical, the way that Bartlett Scher directed it was so beautiful to watch. I love going to shows and being, um, entranced by the scene changes. Like that's how, you know, it's really high quality, high concept, smart theater. And it doesn't have to be high budget. Like I've also seen, seen theatrical shows locally that, that do a good job of doing that. Um, but it was just such a beautiful reminder of like what an event it can be for like a set piece to come on. Right. You know? And like, I, I did enjoy that so thoroughly. Um, and I enjoyed everyone's performance, but getting to see, Lara Benanti live was a dream of mine for several years and it has never worked out. I've had tickets to see her in the past and it has fallen through. And so to be in New York when she took over the role of Eliza in My Fair Lady um, was just like the perfect timing. And I'm so, so, so happy I went to see her playing the role that she has called her, her dream role. And she was perfection. 
in it. She is funny and affecting and her voice is beyond gorgeous. Um, Like just full up and down body chills and tears um, at the end of I could have danced all night, just nonstop. Um, And this is a a small spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen this production. So if you want to skip the next minute, you can. Um, But we had seats on the aisle And at the end of the performance, Eliza Doolittle walks away from Henry Higgins in this version of the show. Um, And for the first time in the whole production, somebody from the stage goes into the audience and Laura Benanti starts walking up the aisle towards me and my whole world slowed down because like... This woman, this performer, this actress who I just adore. And of course, I haven't met her in real life, but I have talked to people who have and they say she is wonderful. She walks inches from me. My left arm is tingling just thinking about it. (laughs) It was so magical. And I I wept. I gay cried. I had the gay tears. They were a flow. I was already crying because like that choice for the end of the show is so emotional, especially like as someone who like had issues with previous interpretations of My Fair Lady. And like, let me tell you, if you're someone who has had issues with My Fair Lady in the past, so many things about this interpretation and the way that they directed it and sort of played with the script are so woke and Mm -hmm. delightful. But I was already starting to cry. And then I realized that she was going to walk past us. And I just, I just very slowly put my hand onto Kurt's knee and tried not to dig my fingernails into you. And then she just walked past us and just walked. It, oh, it was too much. Mm-hmm. It was too much. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Um, so I'm ever so grateful that, uh, that I got to see that. And thanks to you for being my, my partner in crime for that little adventure. Uh, always. No. Although Stephanie did end up coming to see that performance with us. Um, but, and she got last minute, uh, tickets through the TKTS booth and she got them center row, like seven seats from, or seven aisles from the stage. She had like perfect seats. Like Laura Bedanti was singing, I could have danced all night to Stephanie Yachman. And I was so pissed at her <laughs> up until the point when Laura Bedanti walked inches from me. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. That was okay. This was good. This was good. So, um, so that was great. Then uh, continuing our theatrical uh, endeavors, I went straight from My Fair Lady to, well, actually, Christy and I went to dinner with John and one of his friends who lives in New York, who just started working for the American theater wing, which are the people who put on the Tonys. And like, I follow him on Instagram now and I'm like so jealous of his life. But then John Christie and I went to see Torch Song starring Michael Urie. Uh, people in the forensics community better know who Michael Urie is because he is not only a uh, star of stage and screen. Uh, he was an ugly Betty among other things. Uh, but he is also from Texas and was a huge forensics competitor and is a huge forensics, com- uh, proponent now as an adult. Um, he did a buyer and seller a few years ago, a one man show. And he openly on many, many interviews credited his performance, his ability to switch between characters to forensics. 
And so loved, loved, loved getting to see him um, again in New York. We got to see him do Byron Seller in Chicago, uh, but it was great to get to see him do this piece of of really it's gay theater. It is a story about a, a gay man. Um, I know all, all theater is a little bit gay, but this really is gay theater. <laughs> it's written by Harvey Firestein. It's the story of a gay man uh, and his relationship with his lovers and his mother. Um, beautiful, beautiful story. Well done production. I have a few uh, things that I wasn't quite so sure about the staging. Um, and even some of the performances, I was like, okay, that was an interesting direction. Um, but I'm really happy I saw it, especially because it's going to be closing early. So that'll, that'll end in January. Um, Saturday evening. Did we do anything Saturday night? Um, yeah, yeah, I I was with my Stephanie Ackman equivalent, which is my darling friend, Rebecca Casting, who uh, lives in New York. She's a physical therapist for dancers, including people on Broadway. And whether or not she wants me to say this, she is a BFD and I'm very proud of her. And it was very fun to hear her tell delightful anecdotes about like working backstage at Wicked and all this fancy stuff. Um, That's what I was doing. And then we were supposed to all go to Marie's crisis together to sing show tunes around a piano, but the line was really long and the weather was awful. So you went back to the Airbnb. Oh no, 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 no. We're not telling half of this story. We trucked ourselves over to what is that? Chelsea? No Greenwich. Greenwich. We, tr- we got our way selves over to Greenwich um, and you had gotten in the bar like right before we got there. And we stood in line for like 45 minutes and then decided this is, it's raining too much. We went and got uh, snacks from the milk bar. Mumbofuku. Came back and the line had not moved in like the 45 minutes we had left. So like in an hour and a half of standing there and or leaving and coming back, nobody had gotten in the the club, the bar. And so we were like, okay, I think at this point we're going to go back to the to our Airbnb because we weren't getting in. We weren't close to the front of the line. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah, and we only got in cuz everyone who was in front of us had given up. And just left. So that's how we got in. (laughs) And you had a fabulous time and I don't want you to feel guilty about it. Okay. Doesn't mean that I won't, but I appreciate you telling me I don't have to. Well, it's not your fault that we didn't all go at the same time together or a different day where it would have been less busy. So now we know for next time. Yes. It is just as fun as everybody says it is. And we should make an effort to get there. Okay. But not on a weekend. Um, And then Sunday, uh, Katie and I went and just explored around in Chelsea. We did Chelsea Market. Um, We wandered around the streets, ate delicious things, bought ridiculous things uh, before uh, we all met up for dinner. You were out seeing another show. Yes. Christy and I went uh, sort of to complete our like Harry Potter experience of the weekend. Daniel Radcliffe was performing in a new play on Broadway called Lifespan of a Fact. So we went to see that. I was also very interested in like what the play was. Um, and it also starred Cherry Jones and Bobby Cannavale for those who who know um, those actors. Uh 
it was great. It's, it's a really good play. It's a one act, uh, a really clean, I think it was like a hundred minutes. Um, theaters, once this becomes available, like local smaller theaters should look at the show. Um, very smart. It is all about, uh, the relationship with truth and fact that we have now in the modern day, what publications uh, have the responsibility to do when it comes to being factual versus telling a good story. Um, Really, really excellent. And uh, such a pleasure to be able to see Cherry Jones, who is just a legendary theatrical actress. And if you don't think you know who Cherry Jones is, look her up because you have seen her in something. She is in like... Every television show and movie made in the last 20 years, she is in it because she's everywhere. Um, And I got to have my Cherry Jones moment as we left because the whole weekend we were there, they were collecting for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS after every performance. So you best believe I got a signed poster from My Fair Lady for a healthy donation to Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. And, um, And then... As we were walking out of lifespan of a fact, uh, Cherry Jones herself was holding the red bucket. And so I got to to put some money in her bucket. And I just said to her, it was such an honor to get to see you perform live. And she grabbed my arm and rubbed it and said, you're too kind. You're too kind. You're too kind. Three times. It took like 30 seconds. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment for me. Um, almost as exciting as having Laura Benanti walk by me was having Cherry Jones physically embrace me <laughs> and make me feel like a good person. <laughs> so, so that's what I did that afternoon. And then we met you guys for a dinner. I feel like I've talked a lot. So it's, you should, you should tell people about once on this Island. Okay, fine. So before the show even started and getting into wonderfulness, that is the show, uh, we ended up purchasing our tickets separately, which is to say Katie, Christy, and I got our tickets directly from the website. And Kurt and his husband bought their tickets through a discount ticket website. And because the theater gods had not smiled on us quite enough that weekend, it ended up that all five of our seats were together. Like, not just like sort of near each other, like directly together, which very much freaked me out. Kurt thought it was just totally casual and cool and fine. But I was just feeling very hashtag blessed uh, and not being hashtag humble about it at all. Uh, But that show was just joy. Uh, My note for that show says Melissa snivels at Circle in the Square, which is the theater that we uh, saw it in. and it's just it's theater in the round and the it's set on an island so the entire stage area is sand and there are trees and there are there's an actual goat like a real live goat and real live chickens that are being fed and there is just all of again more amazing stagecraft with all of this work with water and wind and it was such a joyful musical to watch in the moments where it was joyful and completely heart-wrenching in the moments where they just wanted to take my heart from my body and then just make me watch them take it away from me and hand it to the actors on stage because I didn't need it anymore apparently I hadn't given enough already to your encouraged child or my fair lady I just needed to give the last bit that I had to the cast of Once on this Island because they took it 
it was incredible. I was just, I cried from both joy and just emotional distraught. And it was beautiful. Yeah. And I, I know that it can be difficult for those around me who don't have near the level of emotional reaction that I do, AKA Kurt, when I like basically weep in public, but that's something that I love about theater is that it's a place where it's okay to cry in public because lots of other people are doing it with you. Yeah, <laughs> And so it's another aspect of seeing live theater is being in that group experience of being surrounded by other people who are getting to be on that emotional wavelength with you, whether they got there for the same reason that you did, if they're, they might be interpreting what's happening on stage differently than you, but like just getting to one of the benefits of being in the round is sort of being able to gauge audience facial expressions. If you can tear yourself away from the actors, but getting to see people delight in it as much as you are is just so fun. And that show just has such high highs and really low lows emotionally. And it, I was just like exhausted afterwards. I was like, um, can I lie down now? <laughs> like, I know that we have to get on the train and ride it back up to our Airbnb, but like, I just need to lay down for a minute. Like, can someone pass me a dog to pet for a little while? I needed like an emotional support animal. <laughs> it was beautiful. It is. And this is a show that I had heard the album for, but I'd never seen it. And I'm so happy I did because I, I loved it. I really did. This was another one where it was just like no intermission, just start to finish. I I did a lot of those at this, uh, this time around. It was, um, just a, just a beautiful beautiful show and the direction really deserves a lot of credit um michael arden directed this he also uh, got a lot of acclaim for his direction of uh, deaf west's spring awakening a couple years ago he's also an actor and a beautiful singer um but uh, the way he used that set which it's in the round you're really blocked in and you're you don't have a ton of resources at your disposal because you can't fly things in from the wings or from the ceiling like you could in a normal proscenium theatrical setting uh so the way that they used the actors and the environment to create uh the scene changes was just so smart and not for nothing, we got to see Destiny's Child's uh, Michelle Williams for her brief run in that show, and American Idol's Tamira Gray, who was hey. fantastic. So good. So, yeah. So a beautiful show. If anybody has a chance to see it at any point in time, I say go. It's it's gorgeous. It's not happy. Nope. There are moments where you will be happy, but you do not walk out of that theater oh. happy. No, sir. No, ma'am. No. No, uh, but great music and, and the performances and the set were just stunning. So it was it was a great way for me to go out of our New York Broadway experience because, like you said, it wasn't like a, a, a high note necessarily, but we were going out on quality and substance and beauty and love. And um, and it was just wonderful. And so that was, are you giggling at me? No. <laughs> this is the I can hear you being able to see each other is me trying to hold my emotions in to let you have your beautiful emotional moment while also reacting to you building a beautiful emotional moment. No, I heard you. <laughs> You're sitting next to a microphone. That's I'm how actually this works. standing. 
Because oh, okay, it was really uncomfortable on my recording stool. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do this on a stool. But no. we we can wrap it up now so you don't have to stand or sit on an uncomfortable stool. Okay, can um, I talk about two highlights that have happened like in my life since the last time we recorded, which was after WFCA State? Yeah. <laughs> okay. One, when we were at uh, NSDA Nationals in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, it was my co-coach Ben Kroll's birthday. And so my students and I decided to throw him a birthday party, of course. And it was, as we called it, JK Crowling themed. And we all dressed up as various uh, iterations of Ben Kroll and surprised him. He like came into our room thinking we were just going to like eat cake. But we had, in, in fact, all dressed up as him in pre-planned outfits. And it was one of the best reactions I've ever gotten for any gift I've ever given anyone, even though there was no physical gift. It was just us with our hair and clothes and shoes changed to be Ben Kroll. And it will go down as one of my best moments as a coach because it was heck of fun. And it is the hardest I've ever seen that man laugh. And I'm just very proud of it. And two, because it's literally been this long since we recorded, um, I just want to acknowledge like how much optimism I now have about our political state versus the last time we had talked about it really intensely on our podcast, which was after uh, the presidential election, um, the midterm election, makes me feel really good, which I we could not be the case right now, but instead we are lucky enough that it does. And mm-hmm. we got to see so many young people going out to vote for the first time, this so-called like Gen Z people who lots of people like to believe don't care, but we in forensic know that's the exact opposite. And this election really showed what this generation of kids is willing to do and are going to go out and do. And lots of people who are first time voters, people of all age groups who have stepped aside from participating in the election process for so long, decided that now is the time and they were ready to, to, to do the work and put in the effort and doing canvassing and phone calls and, and, like it just makes me feel so much better than I did at that point two years ago. And I just want to acknowledge that like that sad sack Melissa from that podcast two years ago is very different from how she is now after the midterms. It makes me feel, even though the overall state of our political system makes me a little sad, um, that momentum that we felt that I'm still holding on to as we start pushing towards into local primaries and stuff that will start happening in the spring. So I just, it makes me feel really good. Mm -hmm. With every generation of young high school kids that gets the right to vote, I feel a little bit better Yeah, because uh, the ones that I know and the ones that we work with, uh, they are the hope. Uh, And I think even in our, our, depression following the last election. We talked about that, that, you know, we get to work with the young people who still give us hope, even when there is so much in the world and there are so many people, especially adults, um, who are willing to make excuses for horrible behavior because they have been fooled into thinking that there are two equal parties who both, um, have the best interests of the American people at heart. Uh, And I think our young people are smarter than that. And they see that there are not two parties that have the best interests of uh, our country at heart. There is one party that's willing to sacrifice our country for uh, the sake of the wealthy. And there's another uh, that is a mixed bag and not everybody in it is perfect. Uh, But for the most part, it is fighting for uh, the, the health and the well-being 
of the people of our nation and that they see injustice and they call it out. And, and a lot of those young people who 10 years ago were sitting in classrooms, uh, some of them are now uh, in Congress. So the, the world and, and- is a changing and I think it's changing for the better. Uh, and as long as our, our young people and, and those of us who are adults who see the injustice, we stay focused and we keep working and we keep speaking out. Um, then I think we've, we've got a bright future. And I think no matter what your political affiliation is, Kurt and I have never been quiet about ours on the podcast, but I know there are people who disagree with us. No matter your political affiliation, there is no denying that what we are doing in forensics and showing young people how to find their voice and how to use it is one of the things that has helped helping this catalyst. It is we are we are part we get to play a small part in that by getting to show young people that their voice matters and even what some might consider a small way in the forensics world, us helping ignite that spark, if you will, uh, is what is helping push this, this change across all platforms, but certainly in how we participate in our political system. So whether or not you agree with me politically, if you are doing forensics, we are agreeing on the importance of at least that. So I'm looking forward to another season of getting to help encourage kids to find and use their voice. And I hope that a lot of you are too. And you're not thinking about all the other daunting stuff that comes with the upcoming forensic season. (laughs) Not scared. (laughs) 